0: And this morning, in Colossians chapter 1, verses roughly 15 to 23, Paul seeks to challenge us to expand, I believe, our understanding how big, how amazing, how great Jesus is. In many of your Bibles, it might have a little heading there that it might even call it the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul described himself, um, I forget exactly where, but he described himself as someone who was born at the wrong time. I've never really thought about that in terms of my own life. I've been quite happy in the time that I was born. But there could be lots of arguments to say, well, you've been lucky, Doug. You've been born at a good time. Uh, It's an interesting statement for anyone to say. Um, There are certainly NHL stars of the 1950s or 1960s or even the 70s who might look at the salaries of your average NHLer today and say, you know what, I think I might have been born at the wrong time. Paul's reasons had nothing to do with money or comfort or because life was better. Paul considered himself an apostle. He called himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Even though he did not physically walk with Jesus as the other disciples did, he did not see Jesus in the same way that the other disciples did. So he sometimes calls himself as someone untimely born. Yet Paul, who began as what we might call a religious zealot, a spiritually driven man um, whose mission in life was to persecute the followers of Jesus at a point in his life came face to face with Jesus in a way that redefined his understanding of spiritual things and quite literally changed the landscape of faith that continues to be changed today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other disciples had seen even the resurrected Jesus. That after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the other disciples. Paul actually had an encounter with Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul actually had an encounter with the ascended Jesus. And his meeting with Jesus defined everything about Paul's life until his death. In that story uh, recorded in Acts, it says a bright light and a voice from heaven stopped Paul in his tracks. We know that he was heading to Damascus. His goal was to persecute, to drag Christians out of their homes, to kill Christians... And on that journey, Paul came face to face with Jesus through a bright light and a voice that caused Paul to fall to the ground. And it says this there, Saul, Saul, the voice said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus. Jesus. The one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And there's lots more of that story if you want to read it in Acts. And Paul was given by God, I would call a twofold mission or task. Part of that mission, we might say, was positive. It was about carrying the message of the gospel to people who had not heard it. People who might, prior to that, have thought of themselves as being excluded. But the other part of Paul's mission was not quite so grandiose. For it was a call to suffer. And Paul accepted both aspects of this Mission. In fact, I would say Paul embraced both aspects of his call. That he did proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was available to men and women, to rich and poor, to slave, to free, regardless of your nationality, your ethnicity, that the doors of faith are wide open to all who would believe. When I think about Paul's life, people who like to preach a sort of, I'll call it a live well and prosper gospel, Paul's life would be problematic. These are the words, I believe, spoken to Ananias. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We cannot overestimate the impact Paul's encounter with Jesus had not only on his life, on his ministry, and I think if we were to open the door of Colossians, And shine a spotlight on the passage that stands out above all others. I believe it would be Colossians 1. 15 to 23. And I want to ask the question this morning. How big? How wide? How vast is our understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Paul's description of Jesus is tended to cause us to truly be in awe of Jesus. I want to read Colossians 1, 15 to 18. There is so much in this passage. Unbelievable. You could take Colossians 1, 15 to 23 and probably speak for several months, but I'm just going to read. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. through him, and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I thought about that quite a bit this week when I was driving around and being amazed at the amazing handiwork of God in creation, and it says Jesus is holding all of that together. Jesus Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. And I thought, how awe-inspiring is my own picture of Jesus? What comes to your mind when you think, or somebody asks you about Jesus? We might see him walking with his disciples, talking with his disciples. We might see Jesus teaching the crowds that tended to follow him wherever he went. We might picture Jesus as the healer of people who had physical difficulties, many of them and most of them often from birth. We may see Jesus as the suffering Savior on the cross for the sins of the world. And as I thought about that week, I thought that often our picture and even our understanding of Jesus focuses on what it meant for him to be human. The part of his life that he lived walking the earth as you and I do. Very often that's kind of where we settle on Jesus. You might say we think about him in terms of the Son of Man. But Paul challenges us in these verses, I think, to to expand our vision, our view, our knowledge or understanding of Jesus, that he existed with God before anything was created. And even today, as we sit here as part of his church, he rules over everything he has made. And I believe Paul is encouraging us to embrace those things about Jesus that are beyond our understanding, to embrace those mysteries about Jesus that one day will be revealed to us. Paul is describing in powerful language, yet in a way that is also limited by language itself, how great our God is how great our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Yes, he is the Son of Man, but he is also Son of God. So the last half of Colossians chapter 1 proclaims the supremacy of Jesus. And Paul in this passage sets the stage or lays the foundation for other conversations he's going to have with the Colossian church. And Paul is saying, you know what, if you truly embrace the supremacy of Jesus, the preeminence of Jesus, the all-sufficiency of Jesus, you will not find yourself falling victim to strange beliefs. He's going to talk about those in chapter 2. Like the worship of angels. You will not fall victim to a life or a form of religion that's characterized by do's and don'ts. If you have a good grasp of who Jesus is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you won't try to attain spiritual credibility by subjecting your body to harsh treatment. Things that he's going to talk about in Colossians 2. Those things, Paul says, are aberrations. They are deviations. They are signs that you have actually lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul spoke and proclaimed all the time. Jesus is the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He is the creator and sustainer of all that he has made. He is the cornerstone of the church. And he rules over everything. Don't water him down. Don't put limitations on Jesus. Bow down before him and give thanks for the salvation he has offered and the hope he has given. Colossians 1, 15 to 23 is a powerful theological statement about Jesus. And many books, uh, many statements of faith on the behalf of denominations have as their inspiration an attempt to capture the depth of this passage. The reality is we cannot fully explain them, neither can we fully explain Understand them. And it is partly why as children of God, where the Christian faith actually is a call that requires faith. To say, I'm fine with the fact there are things about Jesus and about God that I do not fully understand. Or I cannot fully explain. And so we're called to live by faith. But this passage gives such a powerful set of reasons why we should hang on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's another area, well, it's probably quite a few in the New Testament, but Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, kinda captures some of the same thoughts as Colossians 1. And it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, about Jesus being exalted, Jesus rules victorious over sin. Jesus rules victorious over death. Jesus rules over everything we see and even those things we do not see. And there is coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. In this passage, and maybe some of you have done this during the week, I've just sort of highlighted some of the things it says about Jesus. And yes, each one of these we could probably preach on, but I just want us to let them sort of rest with us this Sunday morning. Number one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's an amazing statement. Paul is actually reinforcing here what Jesus said about himself, that if, in fact, you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. That the Father and I, Jesus said, are one. So sometimes if we want to know something of the God who we cannot see, we need to look at Jesus who came and lived among us. The Jesus described in the Gospels gives us some understanding of the character of the invisible God. Number two, it says Jesus existed before anything that was created. I want to say that this is a verse that has been interpreted or manipulated Uh, by those who claim that Jesus was actually a created being. And some of your versions of the Bible may actually use the term here, Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, or the firstborn of creation. And so there are organizations, denominations, sects, that have jumped on that and say, oh, Jesus was created. It's not the message of this verse. Paul uses it to make the point that when it comes to all that has been created, Jesus ranks above it all. And prior to creation, Jesus was with the Father. John 17 verse 5 says this, and these are the words of Jesus. Uh, And that's another passage John 17, especially verses about 1 to 5 or 6. It's Jesus talking about fulfilling the mission that God the Father gave him. But in John 17, 5, Jesus says this, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Number three. Jesus is the initiator of all that has been created. And I think it's very good for us to think about the second half of that. All that he created was actually meant for his glory and the glory of the Father. That those things we see, those things we don't see, everything that was created was meant to give glory to God. It includes those things that you may have observed and kind of were amazed at as you drove to church on Sunday. It may be those things that we don't fully understand in the spiritual realm. All of that is created for the glory of God. Number four, Jesus holds all things together. Don't understand how that works. I just declare that, Jesus holds all things together. Number five, Jesus reigns supreme over all that he's made. Everything that has been created is meant to bring him glory. And someone might say that actually sounds a bit self-serving and the answer would be yes. It's meant to give glory to God. While we may live as though the goal of life is our own comfort. Or our own pleasure. As much as those things we may say we enjoy. The purpose of all he has made including you. And me. Is that we would give him glory. And I think sometimes that we are made to give him glory. He in turn gives to us not only all that he has created. He has given us himself. And he's preparing for us an inheritance that says one day we will actually share in his glory. I do not even know how amazing that will be. Paul goes on to say that number six, and this is the last of my numbers, that Jesus is the head of the church. That even the church is his creation. He is the cornerstone upon which the church is built, and we are called to be his kingdom here on earth, so even the church, we exist to give glory to Jesus Christ. I think it was Rick Warren, um, and I know there may be some of you who who may not like me referencing his name, but I will. Um, Quite a number of years, he he wrote a book that millions of people read, bought, Purpose-Driven Life, and uh, I think one of the very first lines in that book was, it is not all about you, which is an interesting way to start a book. Now, I don't say that to put us down, that in some way we are supposed to put ourselves down. Because in terms of creation, we are the pinnacle of everything that he created. But we are created to give glory to God. So when I say I don't say it to put us down, I do say it to put us in a rightful place. Someone said, and I was listening to, I think it was a a Jewish rabbi who was speaking on CBC, and he was talking about people, uh, kings, rulers, who would not acknowledge God or the reality of God, but have set themselves up as though they are God. And the rabbi said this, when man seeks to be more than human, he often tends to become less than human. And he gave examples of that in the history of mankind. We exist for his glory. We are the clay, he is a potter. As I thought about that this week, I thought, it's interesting. Everything that has been created has been created by Jesus. And yet, in everything he has made, there's the reality of brokenness. A brokenness that exists even in creation. There's a brokenness that even exists in the spiritual realm. There's a battle there that we do not fully understand. And there's a brokenness in the hearts and lives of people. Creation, it says, longs to be restored. The battle that exists in the heavenly and the spiritual realm, Jesus has already been victorious over that, but that battle still rages. And I think about man and the brokenness that exists in the hearts of man and women, people that God created, created by Jesus. And the opening... Story, the book of Genesis, talks about that challenge or that question that man had for God. Did God really say? Did God really say we couldn't touch that, couldn't do that? We know that story. And into the hearts and minds of man entered a knowledge of good and evil. A knowledge of right and wrong. And its result was not freedom. The result of that knowledge in the hearts and minds of man did not set them free. It didn't make them like God. It resulted in an inner battle, an inner conflict that continues to afflict the human race. And so if this is the case, and I believe it is, that in all these areas there is brokenness, we might ask the question, why create it in the first place? Many people have asked that question. Many people still ask that question. And maybe on one hand, I don't even have a right to ask that, but I believe the Bible gives the why. And Paul references it in these verses, Colossians 1, 19 to 23. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled, and if there's a word that I like, it would be that one, reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, me, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your own evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Through Jesus. And here's a bit of a warning that he'll talk about in chapter 2. But you must continue to believe this truth Stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The word reconcile is used twice in that passage. And this week I kind of, just out of curiosity, um, googled "reconciled" and Wikipedia. And there were three definitions that happen to show up, and we have to keep in mind that these definitions, they had, when people wrote them, they had, faith was not part of their motivation, Jesus was not part of their motivation, it was simply, okay, what do these words mean? But there is some truth in all three of them that also exists for us as children of God, of people of faith. Number one, it said, restore friendly relations between. Jesus, as our friend, was referenced in some of the songs we sang this morning. The second one said this, cause to coexist in harmony, make or show to be compatible. The truth of the gospel would say that this is where we belong. To embrace Jesus, to embrace God, is like coming home. God created us, created us for his glory, and God is in the process of reconciling us. Number three, and this probably makes most sense to accountants or people that perhaps work in the banking system. To make one account consistent with another, especially by allowing for transactions begun, but not yet completed. And so I was going to take that one out. I'm not really quite sure how to apply that one, but I believe there's truth even in that statement about how God reconciles us to himself. The New Testament is sometimes called the New Covenant. It's the new arrangement we have in Christ's death and resurrection. That New Covenant allows us to become children of God, joint heirs with Christ. His children. But there's a reality about our faith that is still to be experienced. So in a sense, we are part of a covenant that is not yet fully completed, but it will be one day when God calls us home. The heart of God is to redeem to restore, to reclaim all that he has made. And he's done it through Jesus. There's a longing in creation. There's a a longing even in the battle in the spiritual realm. There's a restlessness within the hearts of man that Jesus came to reconcile, to make right. And the fullness of that restoration, the completion of our salvation The prize that is still to be ours rests in the all-sufficient gospel of Jesus Christ. I would encourage us to read that passage often. Verses 15 to 23. It is Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, highlighting the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus, God's revelation of himself in human form, humbled himself in order to restore and to reclaim us. And as a result, God has highly exalted him above everything. And today we bow down before him. We are to bring him glory in our lives, in the church, and one day we will share in that glory. I'm going to close with something I found as I was uh, reading and, and writing this week. Uh, it's not, I don't even know who wrote it. There was not a name attached to it. There will likely be some things, some phrases in here where you say, "Eh, don't know if I believe that or like that. I want you to simply think about it as somebody's attempt to grasp how vast how great how amazing Jesus is i think it's on the on the screen someone has said he came from the bosom of the father to the bosom of a woman he put on humanity that we might put on divinity he became son of god that we might become son of man that we might become sons of god He was born contrary to the laws of nature, lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born, and that in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor education in the world schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the, learning doc, the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the seas asleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries of the world could not hold all of the books about him. He never wrote a song. Yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. Never practiced medicine, and yet he healed more broken hearts than doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is a star of astronomy. Astronomy the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him and the grave could not hold him. This is Christ, the preeminent one. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and just close in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would speak into our hearts. God, speak into our minds how vast and great Jesus is. Father, I pray that the spirit of the living God would inspire us to live lives that would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that for us even this week, Heavenly Father, and I thank you in the name of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Amen.